0: Welcome again to uh, Wildwood Christian Church. I'm so thankful that you're here. Um, as Courtney shared with us earlier, we, we appreciate you very much and this opportunity to worship God and to honor Him. Uh, those of you who are online, we welcome you as well and thankful you're present, and we would love to be able to connect with you if you're brand new, if this is your first time. You can text that word WELCOME to the number 636 whether you're online or in person. Or you can let Tom know that you're there by putting your name in the chat box. But it's great to have you here today and I want to remind you tonight is our Thanksgiving dinner. We want you to be a part of that. It's a very special celebration. Even if you didn't get signed up beforehand, you're welcome to come. We want you to come and so we're going to be at uh, Wild Horse Creek Elementary School. Is that the right name? No, that's not the right name. What's the right name? I I was just seeing if you guys were listening, right? It's out, you go 109 to BA like you're going to Babbler, and Rockwood Valley is there on the right, and uh, we will be uh, meeting together at 5 p.m., eating together, and then we'll be celebrating together as well, and so we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. Even if this is your first time to join us in person or online, we'd love to have you come and share with us. So in our family, with my wife Patty and I, I am the spender and she is the saver. And that has gotten me into trouble many times. I've spent money on a lot of things, tends to be the things I spend money on cost lots of money and the things she spends money on are like three bucks or something like that. We've often said in our marriage and she said this kindly, not meanly, but that if we'd have let her be in charge of our money from day one, we'd be in way different situation than we are now. Now my... spending habits. My tendency to spend is not a reason for me to not learn to exercise some responsibility when it comes to the stuff that we have, right? It doesn't mean I'm irresponsible just because I say, well you know what, I'm a spender, I can't do anything about that. I have to learn and thankfully I've grown, I've matured some, we'll add that word some to the equation, but uh, I'm curious, how many of you are savers? Anybody out here a saver? Go ahead, put your hand up if you're a saver. That's good. Now, how many of you are like me? You are a spender. Come on, be proud of it. Put your hand up high, right? All right, now don't look cruelly upon the rest of us who are the spenders, all right? Um, but we have to learn, right? We kind of have to grow in this particular area. In fact, the people in our Culture and society that continue to be irresponsible with what they do with their money, right? That they don't learn their lessons, they continue to make the same kind of mistakes over and over again. What would we say about them? We would say, Well, you're immature. And we might use the phrase, You just need to grow up. That's not a real kind phrase to use. I've heard people say that to me, but it is truth, and sometimes the truth hurts. Well, I think God understands the tendency that we all have with money. I mean, savers struggle in some areas with money like spenders struggle in other areas with their money and God wants to help both of us out and God wants us to understand that consequences or you know our choices have consequences you know we are accountable for the things that we do with our stuff and so he has Jesus tell us this story. Now, i got to warn you up front, the story's a little challenging, okay? I'm just going to tell you that up front. But he, God has Jesus tell us this story while he's on this earth to help us to better understand that we need to be responsible. And so we're in this series simply entitled Money Advice from Jesus. And again, Jesus is not that person that we most often think about money, financial advice. We often think about spiritual advice and eternal kinds of things. But as we've been going through the gospel of Luke this year as a church family, you can't help but notice as we go through the gospel that he says a lot about our stuff and our money and how we handle it and what we do with it and our attitude towards that. And so as we strive to get to know Jesus better, you know, to to search after Jesus, one of the areas that he wants to help rescue us from is is our stuff and what we do with our stuff. And so the the first week we learned, the first advice was this, that if you think all of your stuff is only for you, you will never, ever enjoy it. If your money, your bank account, your home and all, if you think it's just for you, you will never, ever enjoy it. Then last week we learned that it's not what we give away but what we keep that determines how much we really trust God. It's not what we give away but what we keep that determines our trust in God. And so today the story is found in Luke chapter 19. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. There's a Bible in seat in front of you. you take your phone out your tablet out in fact if you want some notes to follow along the qr code in front of you you can follow that those of you who are online you can click on the notes tab there or the bible tab but it's luke chapter 19 in which jesus tells a story and the honest truth about the story is is it's a parable about the end times now i know i said we're going to talk about our stuff But he brings this story, this parable, to our attention about the end times because there's a crucial lesson for us to learn. But again, it's tough, okay? As we talk about judgment and as we talk about end times, you're going to discover some things in the story and you're going to think, wow, that is really harsh, that's difficult. And if you think that, then you're probably understanding it properly. And so Jesus tells this parable. He tells the story about what's going to happen at the end of time. At the heart of this particular story is this, that you are accountable for how you use your stuff. Advice number three from Jesus is this, you and I, we are accountable for how we use our stuff. So Luke chapter 19, we begin with Luke sharing the reason why Jesus tells this story. He wants to make this very, very clear. So Luke chapter 19, look at verse 11. While they were listening to this, okay, so let's stop there just a second. Listening to what? Well, if you go a little bit earlier there in Luke chapter 19, it's the story of Zacchaeus. We we looked at that a few weeks back. Jesus is in Jericho. And what does Zacchaeus do? He is so changed by Jesus, he's willing to give away half of his money. And if he's cheated anybody, he's going to pay back four times the amount. In other words, he has made a huge conversion. He has let go of his stuff. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And so while they were listening to this, the story of Zacchaeus and this event, he says there he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So you need to understand this. The Jewish nation, up until the moment of Jesus coming onto the scene, always understand God's kingdom was a literal kingdom on this earth, the Jewish nation. You know, you got a city, you got walls, you've got a castle. In other words, it was a literal nation. But Jesus had come to change all of that. And he hinted at it again and again and again. He said things like, my kingdom is not of this world. Or he said things like, the kingdom is within you. And so Jesus coming, he literally changed the whole concept from a literal kingdom to a kingdom that all of those who bow their knee to the king of Jesus, they're a part of. In other words, it's the church, it's God's people who follow him today. That's the kingdom of God. But we can, sometimes, we can sometimes make the same mistake that the Jewish people made, in which we think it's all about making sure we have the power. It's all about having the influence. And so we think about that even from a political standpoint today, right? we got to make sure that we got the right person in charge and the right person you know, in the office so that the right things are being decided. And Jesus is like, no, it's, it's not about power. It's about following me. It's about submitting your will and your life to me. And so these people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at one. His goal was not political power here, but life transformation from the inside. And so he tells this story to remind us that he's king, okay, and our loyalty is to him as king, not to this great nation that we live in. That's not our first loyalty. Our first loyalty is Jesus as king. And he also tells us this particular story to remind us that no matter who's in office or on the throne, he's still in charge. He knows what's going on. He is guiding things. But the most important lesson here is that we are accountable. And someday, he's going to call us to account. And so he tells this parable. Look what he says, verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Now, this is very much a reference to Jesus himself, and he's using some kind of interesting current events in that day. We're not going to go into all of that. But basically he's saying, I'm here now. Pretty soon I'm going to be going, going away, and I'm going to be crowned king. And then someday I'm going to come back home. So how was it that Jesus was going to be able to be crowned king? Because he was obedient to the will of the Father on this earth. In other words, he gave his life as the sacrifice on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose from the dead, defeated death, and he ascended to the Father who is in heaven. In other words, he has the right to be king because he sacrificed his life for you and me. He obeyed the will of his Father. And so he, at this moment, in, when she's speaking, he's going to go away and he's going to be, be crowned king, but someday he's going to return. But right now, for you and I, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So it's interesting, I went through the New Testament, so that phrase, sitting at the right hand of God, at the right hand of God, appears... Some 18 times in the New Testament, specifically referencing that Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he's going to the right hand of the throne of the Father. In fact, Stephen, just before they stoned him to death, because the Jews didn't want to hear that, Jesus said, Look, I see Jesus, and he's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And time and time again, it talks about meaning, he is the one that's in authority, Because of the work he did on this earth, he has the right to become the king. He has been crowned the king. And so the key to the parable is our relationship to the king. The key to the parable is our relationship to the king specifically with the stuff that the king has given to us. And he has expectations. All right, so read on in the parable. Verse 13. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. And one of the things that's very clear is that you are either a servant or you are a subject. A servant is one that the king trusts. A subject is one that doesn't want the king to be in charge at all. And on this earth, you are either a servant of the king or you are in rebellion against the king. There's no middle ground. You don't get to be kind of part way. You are either a servant to the king, you have bowed your knee to the king, or you are living a life that is in direct rebellion to this king. But to these servants, what does he do? He entrusts to them gifts. He says he calls ten servants and gives each one of them a different mina. So a mina was probably equivalent to about a third of your annual salary. So for some of you, that'd be a lot more than others, but that's what a mina is. In other words, um, it's way more sizable than the two mites we talked about last week that the widow had, and yet it is a pretty substantial amount. In one sense, it shows the generosity and the trust of this particular king, But the key phrase in this giving or entrusting is that phrase in verse 13 where he says, put this money to work until I come back. That's really important for us to understand. So I have a a guy in my life, like many of you, um, for some of you could be a lady, but he helps handle my money. Now, I don't have a lot of money compared to other people, but in my mind, I have quite a bit of money. His name is Michael. He's a real nice guy. He's very trustworthy. But let's just imagine that Michael looked at the money that I had in this particular account, and Michael said, you know, I mean, Doug looks old, but it's going to be a long time before he really retires I really need a swimming pool. I think I'm going to take some of that. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's just sitting there. I think I'm going to take that money and build me a swimming pool. Or we just had a little boy. I think, you know, really, we need to go on vacation to Cancun. I'm just going to use some of that money that is in that account because Doug won't even know that it's missing. Now, let me under- help you understand Michael would never do that, he's very trustworthy. But if that happened, how would you feel about somebody doing that kind of stuff with your money, treating it like it was theirs? This phrase, put your money to work, is... uh is a business term in Jesus' day. It's an investment term. It's the idea that somebody has taken money and has put it into your hands. It's not yours, it's theirs. They put it into your hands and your responsibility with that money, the expectation is you're going to take that and you're going to invest it in a way that they want to. You're going to use it in a way they want to so that it can grow and it can be built into something more significant. That's the expectation. Take this money doesn't belong to you I'm giving it to you as a gift and use it until I return and then verse 15 he was made king however and returned home so that's a big deal right so he's now gone off he's been made king and now we come to a picture of the end times he's returning home he's coming back here He was made king and he returned home and then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So we need to understand that Jesus is king. There's no doubt, there's no wondering about this truth. There's no uncertainty here. Jesus has been made king. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven. He is king. He is royalty. And someday this king is going to return. And on his return, there will be a day of reckoning. He will want to know, what have you done? What have I done? With the gifts that I have given to you. How have you used those gifts to benefit and to further my kingdom on this earth. And so there's basically three different groups we have here. Group number one are the servants. Look again, verse 15. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well, done my good servant his master replied because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter take charge of 10 cities and the second came and said sir your mina has earned five more and his master answered you take charge of five cities so he says all right tell me what you've done with it and the first one says i took that mina and i earned 10 more and the second guy says i took that mina and i earned you five more Now, the key here is not the success that they had with what was used. The key here is what? That they were trustworthy. He says, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I don't understand the ten-city thing. I just think it's representative of I've gone from just this little bit of stuff that he's entrusted to me, and because I'm faithful with that, suddenly... The opportunities for me to be responsible have just blown out of proportion. Because I've been trustworthy with a small matter, he knows I can be trustworthy with everything else. Then look at the second group, verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. Now at first, he, he sounds a little bit proud. I've kept it hid away for you in a piece of cloth. But then it sounds a little bit like an excuse. We would never give excuses, right? For what we do or don't do with what God has given to us. I was afraid of you. There's some fear. Because you are a hard man, you reap what you didn't put, you take out what you didn't put in, and you reap what you did not sow. You know what an excuse is? It is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And we are good at convincing ourselves that in my situation, you know, in my circumstance, because of what's going on, you know what, it's really okay that i didn't do exactly what the master wanted me to do, that I didn't do what the king wanted. In my circumstance, it really is okay. And yet in this, I mean, how does the king respond to him? Verse 22, his master replied, all right, I'll judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing there, he said, take his meat away from him and give it to the one who has ten meat. And sir, they said, he already has ten. And he replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away from them. I told you this is a challenging passage. But to the servants who are untrustworthy with the good gifts that the king has given to them, what does Jesus call them here? He calls them wicked servants. I mean, that's harsh. But that's Jesus who is speaking there. That's Jesus who's given a representative of what it could look like, right? On the day of judgment when we stand before him. And so many people think, man, that sounds so harsh, what he was, did to them. And yet the reality is it misplaces the, the generosity of the king. The king was the one who gave the good gifts in the first place. The king is the one who created this earth and everything in it and allows us to live in this beautiful place. The king is the one who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have hope and peace and forgiveness as a free gift. The king is the one who gives us the strength that, that we need every day. He's the one who shows us mercy and compassion who shows us his great love. And the The phrase that he uses there, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. I mean, that servant had no trust in the king. The nothing that he had was the fact that he didn't trust the king. You're you're not trustworthy enough, king, for me to do with this stuff. i got to just hide it away. I can't let anybody else see it. I can't use it at all because if I do, you know, I'm going to be punished for that. And he had no faith, he had no trust in this king. But then there's one last group, verse 27. The king goes on to say, But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Again, so harsh. But to be an enemy of the king is to reject the authority of the king to rebel against the will of the king it is to put yourself in a place where you say like those other people i don't want you to be king i don't want to have anything to do with you and to those they face the harshest of judgment now you may or may not be familiar with the name rodin he is a french impressionist sculptor But my guess is you probably recognize part of his work here. Anybody know what this is called? The Thinker. That's right. The Thinker. Now, there's been a lot of speculation through the years what the Thinker is thinking as they sit there. You know, he's thinking, where did I put my clothes? I'm sitting here naked in front of all these people. I don't know. You know, I mean, all kinds of memes. Keep it up there for me a minute, um, Krishna, there. All kinds of memes, right? It was actually commissioned... Originally, to sit on top of this massive door, and the door was called the Gates of Hell. And it had all these scenes on the front of the door depicting all the agony. And so literally, as he's sitting there with his chin in his hands, the concept of what was originally commissioned, at least, was that he was considering the consequences of life and where he may end up on. You and I need to understand that this judgment time, this time in which God calls us into account, I mean, this, that's not where God wants any of us to end up. He wants us to reflect about the warnings that he has in this particular passage. God has no desire for anyone to go to hell. None at all. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, But you and I need to understand that we are accountable for the gifts that God has given to us. We all are. And sometimes that's hard because we think, well, you know, he's been gone so long, it feels like it's mine. Like the title of our car has my wife and my name on it, right? The deed to our house has my wife and my name on it. It belongs to us in, what, like another 278 payments or something like that. I mean, my tools have my name on it, and so it's easy for me to think, well, this belongs to me, right? It's mine. I can do whatever I want to with it. And we live in a society and in a culture in which we feel like that. And so this parable from Jesus is a parable of compassion as a warning to recognize that this life is not all there is. In fact, it is but a speck in all of eternity. And that we have this good God who loves us so very much. Who has generously given us again and again and again and again. And yet, He has expectations with the good things that He has blessed all of us with. Those things would be things like our time that we spend, Right? the talents or the gifts or the abilities that we have within us, the treasure that we all have. We are all accountable. So what determines the right usage of those good gifts that he's given to us? I mean, if it's me, then I'm going to use all those good gifts for me, myself, and I because, you know what, I'm, just, I'm selfish. I'm a spender, right? That's just what I do. And so it's interesting because what does he say there in Luke chapter 19 and verse 13? It's not a matter of self-determination, but what he says in verse 13 is, put this money to work until I come back. We are accountable, and he has some expectations of us. So am I using the good things he has for my kingdom or for God's kingdom? For my benefit... Or to extend the kingdom of God. We are accountable for how we use our stuff. In fact, Oswald Chambers said this: the essence of sin is the refusal to recognize that we are accountable to God. And we are. So which, which character do I happen to be in this story? Am I the first servants, you know, who were faithful with God's things? Am I the third servant? You know, who just takes what God has given me and hides it away and gives all kinds of excuses for why I'm not using it for his kingdom? Am I the subjects who say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I don't want him to be king. I want to do whatever I want. I want to be the king of my own life. In this story, the way we evaluate that is by how we use the stuff that God has given to us. You are accountable for how you use your stuff. I'm accountable. But imagine what it could be like if we teamed up with the king. Because the king has all power and authority. He has all wisdom and insight. And when you and I choose to team up with the king, in other words, we recognize our stuff doesn't belong to us, we put our trust in him, and we begin to use our stuff for his kingdom. Imagine the impact it could have when we team up with the king we would begin to discover a life that really matters, that has significance, that it's not all just about me, but suddenly I begin to see the king using the things that I've allowed, you know, used for his good to begin to make an impact and a change in the lives of people around me. Think of the impact it could have on our family if they begin to understand there's this good king. And when we team up with him, amazing things happen that go beyond our ability to understand. Imagine the impact it could have on our community and our church if we realize we are accountable. Let's use this for God. Let me pray for us. Lord, Thank you for your great love, for your great goodness in our life. Lord, again and again, you show your love and mercy and compassion to us. And Father, the thought of judgment is very challenging, at times extremely harsh. And yet, Lord, we know that because of your goodness, because we have said yes to your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that we step into that time fully confident of your love for us. And so, Lord, help us to team up with you. Help us to use the good resources and gifts that you've given us for your kingdom and for your good and for your glory, Father. Lord, we, we just say help us to grow in our faith and our trust in you this day. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.